Digital. Student-centred. Creative. Innovation. Imagination. Initiative. Stories that matter. I'm Jo Elliott, and this is Tales of Teaching Online, brought to you by Deakin Learning Futures. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Today, we're joined by Meg Reed, who is a final year law student, law and arts, I believe, Meg, um, and also the Director of Education of the Deakin Law Students Society, um, as well as being one of our student ambassadors. Um, now, I've just told you a little bit about Meg, but Meg, thank you for joining us. And could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. No, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to um, chat to you today. Um, tell me about yourself is always a really difficult question for me because I feel like it changes every second day of who I am and I'm still trying to work that out. But um, I'm 23 years old. Um, I'm the oldest of three um, and have a golden retriever as well, who I love, but he's 10. So he's getting a little bit old and he's the most dramatic of any of us. Um, I'm studying, yeah, arts law. As you said, I'm majoring in anthropology and minoring in religion, which is something that I never thought I'd be doing, but it keeps life very interesting. Um, I'm a diehard Melbourne Demons supporter, which I'm loving at the moment. It's great. <laughs> um, and I play three instruments, which I'm looking to take up a little bit more when I have time when I'm not studying. <laughs> which instruments are those? Um, I play saxophone, flute and clarinet impressive yeah. it's oh it's, it's just fun <laughs> it's just brain break which is nice <laughs> yeah and the thing you didn't mention is you're also quite recently a new podcast host so you've just started a, a new podcast um about student mental health and well-being called when it's falling apart um can you tell us a little bit about it and what prompted you to to create the podcast yeah, so that's been a relatively new venture. I sort of started um, formally on that at the end of last year. Um, essentially, it came about because I've had my own journey with mental health and have been very lucky to be in a family that's supportive of it, that understands it, um, and have always had that support in, in battling it because um, I was first diagnosed with depression at 16. So um, I was very lucky that it was just normal in my family and I was able to work through that and have the support to, to get back on top of life and, and keep going. And so I've always been really um, open with it because it's just normal and I'm sort of like if, if what I went through can help somebody else, then that's a really good thing. Um, and then through COVID, I started talking um, to people in just a, a conversational way and I got more involved with law and I'd been a terrible law student for a long time um, and just didn't want anything to do with it, but started um, yeah, getting more involved in the law society and engaging with students studying law. And the more that I'd sort of make comments and say, oh, you know, I'm actually really stressed about this or I just don't know how I'm going to get this done. Or even like, I found it really hard to get out of bed this morning. Um, and the amount of students that we're like, oh my gosh, me too. Like, I thought it was just me, you know, or, you know, I'll be scrolling through LinkedIn and think I just get overwhelmed and have to turn it off. And they're like, wow, like I thought it was just me. Um, and that really struck me because I thought it's absolutely not. And the fact that I'm having, you know, five conversations today where everyone's said, wow, I thought it was just me, um, really stuck with me. And so it was something that I wanted to try and start generating conversation around and um, promoting awareness of because it, it is so normal and it's so prevalent. And particularly it started as a law thing um, just because of the statistics in the legal industry at the moment are just phenomenal with um, 
the rates of burnout and depression and anxiety. And from what I was seeing, a lot of that started at law school. Um, and a lot of that came from the habits that were formed while we were still studying and, and students were just running themselves into the ground, which I just sort of was like, it, it had never been, yeah, it, it had always been normal for me to talk about it and acknowledge the fact that I wasn't okay sometimes. And so it blew my mind that I had friends not leaving the house or, you know, keeping it all to themselves or bottling it all up. And so, yeah, this podcast idea was sort of born where I wanted to, I know that uh, I had a whole lot of podcasts that helped me through like particularly second lockdown last year when my brain just wasn't coping with everything and I didn't have motivation or inspiration to do anything. And I'd listened to some amazing people and thought that that was what sort of got me through. And so I wanted to bring that to students in a perspective that was relatable um, and that they could listen to without sort of listening to an hour and finding two or three little nuggets of relevance. Um, it was a chance to make it really streamlined and, and tailored because being 20 to 25 years old and at uni is quite a unique position um, because you don't know who you are or where you're going or what you're doing. Um, and, you know, everyone's telling you that it's the best years of your lives, but it's really difficult to work out what's actually good um, and what you want to be doing. And you feel like you should be doing more and you're comparing. And so there's just all these challenges that I think are quite unique to uni. And I wanted to start generating conversation around that. Um, so yeah, sorry, that was a really long-winded answer, but um, this podcast came about um, and I started it with um, a couple of law students from Melbourne Uni who have a podcast already called Behind the Grind. Um, and so I work with them um, and they've been really awesome in helping me get it off the ground. And now I, I talk to, to experts or um, professionals in different fields or inspirational speakers and even some students um, about different topics in the mental health sphere. So, yeah. Brilliant. Um, and you've just released the, the preview of it. Um, so I was listening to that the other day and looking forward to some of the um, other episodes coming out. Um, and we'll pop the, um, the link in the, the show notes for um, people to listen to. Um, but what would you like teachers and other university staff to know about what students are, are going through, what's going on in their lives, what they're feeling and what some of the challenges are? Yeah, I think it's... Um... Yeah, it's really interesting because uni does play such a big part um, for students and it is a, a big cause of a lot of the stress and anxiety that that comes um, as from being 22 years old. <laughs> um, and I think that one of the main things for me is just the recognition and the acknowledgement of the fact that it's difficult and sometimes it's hard. Um, and as I said, when we don't know who we are or where we're going or what we're doing. Um, and I think particularly at the moment, there are a lot of students struggling with life and the uncertainty of the world. Um, and that's really reflecting on study. I know myself because we're, you know, almost the end of trimester. And I think I'm on week four for most of my units, um, which yes, happens you know, sometimes and it's inevitable that it'll happen, but almost every single person that I've spoken to has just found it really hard to sit down and do anything. And so I think um, just acknowledging that that's a thing. Um, yeah, everyone there, I haven't spoken to anybody who's been like, yeah, this trimester is going really well. Um, I'm really enjoying it at the moment. Um, everything has been around. This is actually the hardest trimester anybody's done across all the year levels. Um, and I, I think it comes from the uncertainty of the world um, and not having that direction. We don't know what options will be open to us when we finish. So it's like, well, what am I even aiming for anymore? And so I think, um, yeah, just acknowledging that there was an awesome um, New York Times article that came out recently on like the forgotten middle child of mental health and um, languishing. 
And that feeling of like no motivation and feeling joyless and aimless that isn't depression and isn't burnout, but it's it's sort of that in-between stage. And I think that's what a lot of people are feeling. So just acknowledging that that's relevant and, you know, um, providing that opportunity for support would be awesome. And just that recognition that um, this is how people are feeling. And as you said um when you were introducing the the podcast, that feeling that you're the only one experiencing this. So I think that opportunity to hear that it's not just you, um, other people are experiencing it as well can be very, very powerful. Um, so from a, a student perspective, um, what can teaching staff do to support student mental health and wellbeing? You've talked about that that recognition and potentially providing that space for people to say, hey, a bit tired right now. Yeah. What other avenues do you think there, there are? Yeah, well, I think that's a huge one that to, to me doesn't have much of a, a burden in order to implement, just acknowledging. Um, and that's a lot more powerful than we realise, I think, as you said, like just hearing someone else is in the same position can have such an impact on our lives. And I'm sure you've, you know, felt it before as well, that when someone almost validates the fact that you're feeling a certain way, you're like, oh, okay, cool. Awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I think that acknowledgement is really key, whether that's, you know, checking in at the beginning of a lecture or seminar. Um, I've had um, in the past, not often, but um, a lecturer at the beginning would say, all right, like one to 10, how's everyone going? Um, and just giving the students an opportunity to say, you know, I'm, I'm a six today and everyone can pop it in the chat box or whatever it is. Um, even just that, that sort of check-in um, can be really powerful and, and make someone feel as if they've been heard or acknowledged or um, supported in that way. And that might give them a platform to reach out to someone else, or they'll see that other students are sitting at that four or five mark as well and think, actually, you know, I'm okay. Like maybe I could chat to someone or things like that. Um, I think that something that I find really helpful that I'm not sure how widespread it is, is promoting this idea of treating study as a nine to five. Um, I don't know if this is gonna be a little bit controversial, but from a student perspective and um, some conversations that I've had, I had one um, friend tell me the other day that they were told by a lecturer um, that they were supposed to be available 24 seven um, for study. And to me, it's that's just not practical or healthy or sustainable um, and students aren't going to function at a high level if they feel like they have to be on the whole time because you can't switch off and you can't um, reset or recharge um, and so something that yeah I'm really trying to implement is looking at study as you know I have I clock on at nine and I clock off at five and outside of that I really need to stop um, because if you don't then you become more unproductive anyway. And I know, um, yeah, in my experiences and in friends of mine as well, um, when you're just constantly going, your work suffers and you don't get anything out of it anyway and you end up cramming for the exam and winging it <laughs> at the end. So um, I think just changing that narrative around balance and um, switching off, I think we'll start to see more productive students um, in that sense, if that can sort of be promoted too. Um, yeah, I think one thing that's interesting to consider um, on a broader scale, so rather than a day-to-day, -day, is the sort of journey of, of learning. And what I mean by that is there's so much conversation around learning to learn um, and how uni is self-directed and, um, you know, you take it on and you, you teach yourself how to 
make the most of that experience. Um, but something that I've noticed that could be more conducive to, to productivity and mental health is in my law units, for example, we have one assessment and then an exam. And so you do a memorandum of advice or a research essay in the middle of trimester, and then you do say short answer and long answer questions in the exam. Um, and while you do get feedback on your assessment and you, know, you get a mark and comments, by the time you do the next one, it's been six to eight months and you've sort of forgotten it all anyway. And um, the, the format will have changed slightly. So you feel like you're starting from scratch again anyway. Um, and I'm not sure whether this happens much in other disciplines, but I wonder whether having, you know, a 5% optional draft that you can submit beforehand would actually relieve a lot of the stress that students experience because a lot of it comes from not knowing what you're doing at all and putting it off because you're just not even sure where to start. Whereas if you could submit, you know, a 200 word plan or something like that and just get a little bit of feedback on that, you'd have something more tangible to hold on to to move forward. And I think that um, we were talking before about control and how that's so crucial to our happiness and fulfillment in life. And I think having that little bit of control over what you're doing and knowing that you can take it on and do it in a way that's going to be okay will remove that pressure of having to be perfect and good at it and get your high distinction the first time around. Um, and so, yeah, I think, yeah, through year 12, we're, we're taught practice essays and you do, you know, practice exams and questions beforehand. Um, and then at uni, it's sort of goes out the window a little bit so I think the as as much as it can that opportunity to submit something and receive feedback without being heavily penalized in a mark sense because yeah having a 40 or 50 percent assessment task that you sort of have to wing and then get it back and you might get 65 percent and then you don't actually get an opportunity to redeem that until the next trimester can be quite deflating um, at times. So I think that, yeah, promoting the self-learning um, without emphasizing the self-doubt and defeatism that many students face would be interesting to think about. I think that feedback conversation is a really interesting one because I know it can be very frustrating as, as a teacher when you've given feedback and then you move on to the next assignment. You're just like, the student didn't read it they didn't apply it and it is that perception of oh well I feel like they didn't read it or they didn't apply it so hearing the student side of it where it's actually I didn't know how to apply that or I'd forgotten to go back to it it kind of opens up that space for more of a dialogue around think back to when you did your memorandum of understanding last trimester what feedback did you get on that what areas did you want to work on so that you can really draw in that learning from unit to unit and across the course, as well as exploring that idea for early feedback and feedback on drafts, um, even if it's general, am I on the right track here? Um, it's certainly an interesting area to explore as well. Yeah, um, and in a recent episode, um, I was chatting to um, Emily Wade, who's an associate lecturer in communication. She was talking about being in a, um, a seminar, an online seminar where her students just seemed a little bit flat and she wasn't sure what was going on with them. They were all trying to participate, but just not quite on didn't seem as enthusiastic as normal 
they use Twitter a lot um, in their units as well. So she um, asked them all to um, tweet a GIF of how they were feeling that day. And yeah, she said across the board, it was something so easy for them to participate in, like your um, how am I feeling on a um, scale of one to 10. But yeah, she said across the board, everyone was just like, yeah, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. But once they had acknowledged that and seen that everyone else was feeling that way and it was okay, she said the seminar just picked up. Um, so I think it's um, there's lots of opportunities to play in that space of actually recognising where students are at and where the whole group is at and um, using that as the basis for um, for the learning on that day. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah, I think that's such a good idea because I think that vulnerability as well creates such a safe space. Um, when when someone else is vulnerable, you feel as if you can be comfortable giving up a bit of yourself as well. Um, and the more that, yeah, even teaching staff where they feel comfortable to, to say, you know what, actually, I had a really tough week too, sort of humanizes the whole thing. And it's not so <laughs> <laughs> clinical and professional all the time because we are human beings. And, you know, that connection is important too. Yeah. Um, as a student, where would you like to see that conversation happening? Is it as part of class? Is it um, starting out the unit with, a, um, you know, creating that safe space for sharing and that dialogue? Um, is it in your seminars, discussion forums? Is it outside the teaching altogether? Where, where do we, um, I guess, set up that, that mm. environment? Yes, a million-dollar question, isn't it? We just solve all the world's problems. <laughs> um, I think it depends to the, the degree to which people have capacity to do it because while it is super important, it's also really difficult and it's really draining um, to be checking in on other people too and trying to engage that. And I, I would assume that a lot of teaching staff too, are ex they're living in the same world that we are and it's exhausting for everybody um, and there are those same feelings of uncertainty. And so... Um, I think finding a, a balance is important. Um, I personally would, at the beginning of my lectures, think it would be really helpful. Um, and then, yeah, in seminars, if it, 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 it did get to that um, point where the seminar, I don't know what I'm saying with this bit, but if it got to the, <laughs> to the point where um, the seminar leader did feel comfortable facilitating that discussion, um, I think it depends on the level of intimacy that um, the teaching staff are happy to bring into it because at the end of the day, it does get quite personal and it can, um, it does mean that probably staff would need to be equipped with how to um, deal with it if a student did come up and say, actually, like I'm really struggling. Um, and so finding that balance that probably starting the conversation in lectures is a really, really good um, place. Um, discussion boards, I, I don't think would be the best way because um, it sort of removes that, that human aspect. Um, and it's easy to, to type things or to say that you're one way without actually feeling it rather than having a genuine connection and um, conversation. So I think, yeah, beginnings of lectures or seminars even. Yeah, some ideas to play with there. Um, before we wrap up, Meg, and um, we, we've covered quite a lot today, um, is there anything else that you'd like us to know or like us to keep in mind um, as we design learning experiences and interact with our students? I think that it's important just to 
keep in mind that students don't know who they are or where they're going with things. Um, and so having that approachability throughout the content is really important that it's, you know, this is what we're teaching and, you know, maybe this is the real world application of that um, because this is a path that you could take it down. Um, and really bringing it back to these are the options that are available and phrasing things as opportunities rather than tasks, I think is um, something that would be really helpful as, you know, this is going to open these doors rather than you need to do X, Y, Z. Um, because I think I know that when I'm told to do something, I'm like, well, mm -hmm, all right, no worries. And it drops to the bottom of my list. <laughs> Whereas if I'm sort of empowered to go further or explore a certain area, then I'm way more likely to sit down for three hours and power through something um, and take it to the extreme. So I think, yeah, as much as it can, as much as it's possible and obviously with learning, there needs to be criteria that is checked off. But I think placing an emphasis on opportunity rather than task would be a big one. Yeah. And even for the things that have to be done, highlighting the benefits and yeah you know, this This is the relevance, this is why we would like you to do this. Yeah, I think a lot of students are driven by that achievement or the success in whatever that means to them. Um, and I think that it is important just for general well-being that we are achieving things and that we have that feeling of achievement, whatever that means to us. Um, because, and yet yeah, whether that is completing a task or receiving positive feedback or, you know, um, getting a group together for a particular idea or whatever it is, that sense of achievement is really important for us to continue motivation. And so I think, yeah, bringing it back to this is, you know, what you can achieve would be really great. Yep. Fantastic. Meg, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Um, good luck with the podcast and, of course, with the rest of the, the law degree, including those final assessments coming up. <laughs> really appreciate you taking the time out from your studies to, to share your thoughts with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>